0: So, I want to hearken back to uh, some discussions we've been having as as a staff and elders and one of the things that we've kind of seen that uh you know is consistent with us is we we preach out of the Bible every week, and we just don't have enough how to lists you know our our sermons tend to deal with these things like getting down to the heart of issues and and really looking at what's real and true down there and it's just not an easy list of things to follow and so today in the great spirit of how to list i want to give you a truly easy to follow how to do list that you can implement into your life this week and see real change you see how to do lists are all over the place i think my favorite it was put out by a comedian several years ago, more than a decade. I guess I'm old. But it was how to not pay taxes on a million dollars. Some of you have probably heard this. He said, this is the how-to list. Step number one, get a million dollars. That might be the hard part. Step number two, don't pay taxes on it. Step number three, when they come to ask you, hey, why didn't you pay taxes on that million dollars? Say, I forgot. I forgot. Step number four, when they said, that doesn't work, you have to pay taxes, this is a crime. You simply say, I forgot, excuse me. There's wisdom there, I'm sure some have followed it, but today I'm hoping in the same way, I can give you a great, easy, four-step how-to list from the life of King Solomon that you can implement this week. So if you have a Bible, open it up, 1 Kings chapter 9. If you don't, grab one of those Bibles there, those black Bibles. We're going to read several passages out of it. You can turn it to page 290 to get started. That does not work for all the rest of your Bibles, by the way. But this to-do list is in the latter part of Solomon's life. Easy steps. You see, Solomon started out really well. He's David's son. He's the king of Israel. He's established his kingdom. And he has already become rich. God has appeared to him and said, "Give said, I'll give you anything. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. And God says, I'll give you wisdom, but I'll also give you a bunch of other stuff. I'll give you gold, riches, fame. So Solomon has all of that. Solomon uses that to build a palace for himself and then to build a temple, a place where God's presence would rest. And we see this amazing dedication of the temple last week. And so what we're going to cover is the end of Solomon's life. This is probably about a 20-year period we're going to talk about today. We don't know exactly. But it picks up right at the end of that temple moment. So there in 1 Kings chapter 9, starting in verse 1, again page 290 if you are using one of those black Bibles and if you don't have a Bible, please do feel free to keep that one. Wants to read this. 1 Kings chapter 9, we'll start in verse 1. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. This is when Solomon gets his wisdom there at Gibeon. Verse 3. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me, and I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting, excuse me, by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So we're about to see a shift in God's promise here. He says, I'm going to be with my people forever. This is his promise. This is a forever promise. I mean, note that he uses the word forever. And it's what God is going to do. There's no conditions on Solomon. God has always and will always be establishing his people to be in his place under his blessing and rule. But note the shift there in verse 4. And as for you, this is Solomon. This is not just everybody. This is, he's speaking specifically to Solomon. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you in keeping my statutes and rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep the commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the people. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, Why has the Lord done this, done thus to the land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold of other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster upon them. So Solomon has this experience. It's it's perhaps the greatest spiritual experience we could ever imagine. God speaks to him, not some crazy guy. God told me a meteor is coming next Sunday or something like God spoke to Solomon in that audible voice that we would all dream to hear so often. But God spoke to him and said, this is for you, Solomon. I'm going to be faithful to establish my people and my place under my blessing and rule forever. But you can have a part in that, Solomon. And the condition is, you you follow me. See, Solomon was to be God's representative here on earth. He He was to be kind of a foreshadowing, a picture of the forever king that was going to come from David and Solomon's family. And so in order to be a picture, in order to be a representation, he needed to look a little bit about like that future king. He needed to look something like that king that we know is to be Jesus. And so if Solomon was going to go off and worship idols, if he was going to go off and abandon God, then he wouldn't look anything like that future king. So God would take away the kingdom so he would not misrepresent What was about to happen. But what we're going to see in the rest of this chapter and the the following two, we're not going to read the whole thing, is that Solomon pondered this advice. And Solomon decided this was not quite the way for him. So we're going to track the life of Solomon and again gain four easy steps that he learned, that he figured out, the wisest of all men. Four easy steps. To becoming an idolater. The first step, ignore God's word. Again, the first step, ignore God's word or don't listen there in your bulletin to God's word. You see, God has always revealed himself. God is a God who wants to show who he is. He's glorious, he's beautiful, he is good, he is kind, he is who matches our heart's desire. So he has showed who he is to us. At times in the Old Testament, he actually spoke just like he did here to Solomon. Other times he used people to write that down. And now, today, we have the Bible, God's word to us. It may not be spoken out loud, but it is his very word. And what Solomon learned, if he wanted to be an idolater, he, he couldn't listen to all those details because it just made it messy. So Solomon figured out he needed to just kind of get it. Just kind of listen. And just kind of follow. He didn't need to do every single little thing. I mean, that's for those fundamentalist radicals out there. Solomon just needed to kind of, yeah. All right, God. All right. Step number one is you just need to Relax a little bit. Not take all those revelation things that God has constantly done quite so seriously. He knew he needed to loosen up his heartstrings a little. Solomon probably had thoughts like, oh, I don't want to be legalist. I don't want to, you know, reject all those idols and simply love and follow God and pull myself up with my bootstraps and so just loosen up a little first step to being a great idolater don't take god's word very seriously i mean don't don't ignore it completely don't get me wrong just just loosen up a little loosen up a little step number 2 see solomon didn't stop there the second thing solomon did was he gave his heart to possessions and prestige Solomon first didn't need to listen to the word of God because he had more pressing concerns. In chapter 9 and 10, we get the details and the, the glory of Solomon's kingdom. See, Solomon's one of the greatest public works leaders in all of history. That's how we know he wasn't from Nolansville. You see, Solomon... Oh, wait, did, that was the outside the head voice. Um, Solomon built the temple. He built a palace for himself that probably took up over a city block. He built palaces for most of his wives. Okay, There's all sorts of issues with that. We'll get to that later. But he built three new cities from the ground up that were new military outposts on the edge of his kingdom. He he even invented, and this is usually accredited, it's not in the scriptures, but, but history accredits this to Solomon himself. He invented a new form of gate to put on walled cities and fortifications that was used through the medieval, medieval ages uh, of ways to keep these places safe. And he had these installed all over Israel. I've seen them uh, when I got to go there in college. He upgraded and completed Jerusalem's fortification. Wow, I cannot get it out today. He upgraded Jerusalem's fortifications. He built this thing called the Milo. We have no clue what this thing is. But everybody was scared of it. We, we, (laughs) really. I mean, I've read every history book I could find trying to figure out what this thing was. But it mentions it six times in these chapters. This thing had to be huge and had to be really scary because other people were angry and wanted to start wars over Solomon building this thing in Jerusalem. He started and completed Israel's first navy. I mean, think about that one. There was no navy. When Solomon finished, there was a huge navy. He started a trade fleet. Israel had never traded internationally via water. They'd always went via land. He started a trade fleet and was trading all over the Mediterranean, all over Africa, and some people think all the way to India. Just a little task there. He was busy. He built what was most likely... The largest and most technologically advanced army in the world. My daughter's in second grade. They're, they're doing Egypt right now. That's, that's like their history lesson for the year. they're staying all. Because Egypt was amazing and grand. But during this time, Egypt was afraid of Israel. I and mean, think about that. You all know the stories about how big that was. Solomon amassed wealth like few people in history. So let me let me put some numbers to kind of quantify that for us here. Um, he received 666 talents of gold per year. So by the way, don't get freaked out over numbers. It's just a number. That's how much money he got per year, right? Um, we need to be careful about how we do some of that goofy kind of stuff. But that's what he was accumulating per year. He was using that and spending it. The, the part I want to kind of quantify for you he got a gift one time that he kept in reserve. He got gold bullion from the queen of Sheba. We'll actually read a little bit about her here in just a minute. The quantity and value of that in today's dollars, 185 million. 185 million, and then his kind of average income was two-thirds of that per year. And this guy had money like we cannot. Them. There's a verse here. First Kings ten twenty seven says it this way. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedars as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. So the the cedar sycamore thing. In other words, he made hard, nice, good wood as plentiful as brush and trees. The Bible actually talks about how Solomon wouldn't drink anything out of a glass that wasn't solid gold. Just below him. Folks, this guy was rich beyond our wildest. When God says, I'm going to bless you with riches, yeah, he did. It was incredible. But not only the money, Solomon got extremely famous. Uh, Probably most of you have heard stories, and and you may not know the whole thing. We're going to actually hit it here in just a minute, uh, of the Queen of Sheba. Y'all heard of her? We, We really don't know exactly who she was. She's probably from the area of Yemen, we think. We're not exactly sure. She was definitely wealthy and definitely a queen. We know that much. And she'd heard stories of Solomon from her emissaries, her trade emissaries coming around. And she could not believe it was physically possible that one man was this wealthy and this wise. So she came to see for herself. So look with me there. First Kings chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse six. Basically she comes, she says, Hey, I've heard you're really smart. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. He answers them all and amazes her. And then we pick up in verse six. And she said to the King, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the report until I came and saw it with my own eyes. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report I have heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who is delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king and you may execute justice. And righteousness, now think about that for a minute. This is a woman from a country had no affiliation whatsoever with the true God, the God that Israel worshiped, and she comes and sees Solomon and is so impressed that she says, "This has to be the work of God. Do you think that might be an open door to you know tell her about God a little bit, like maybe just I, I mean I know I've missed some witnessing opportunities, but this might be one here, right? You know what Solomon does? Thanks for the money. Solomon loved his fame. He had all the wealth and all the international prestige that even some social media princess couldn't dream of. It was all Solomon's. And now, I don't want you to mishear me. Wealth and prestige are not always bad things. There there are lots of godly men and women in the Bible who were very rich. There's lots of godly men and women who are very rich today. There have been many famous people. I think of people like Daniel who served in three courts of three different kings who were very, very famous. Again, there are very famous Christian people today. But the question about Solomon here, his next step after kind of ignoring and and taking lightly the word of God wasn't just to get money, but it was to give his heart to that. The nouns and the verbs in here are, are really interesting. It said Solomon built, Solomon conquered, Solomon gathered, Solomon sought. Solomon. It was, it was all about Solomon and what he could do and what Solomon wanted. Jesus said this. For where your heart is, excuse me, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew six twenty one. In other words, whatever you're throwing your all into, wherever you put your money, that's where your heart's going to go. So Solomon's second step to idolatry was to give his heart to possessions and prestige. Solomon gave his life to this, so much so he was even willing to give the lives of others. He took thousands of slaves in a horribly immoral, ethnic act. Not that different than what happened here in the United States and across the globe during the slave trade. Solomon loved possessions, Solomon loved his prestige. So that's the second step. Give your heart to possessions and prestige. The third thing. Give your heart to other idolaters. Open again with me. 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1. There's lots more to read. It is really interesting to read. It's mind-boggling to read. So I I encourage you to do that this afternoon. 1 Kings 11, 1-8. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Now, I'll come back to that note foreign in just a second here. Along with the daughters of Pharaoh, that was his first wife, his true wife, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidionite, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people, You shall not enter into marriage with them neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Now, people have misused passages like this in horribly evil racist ways, saying people should not marry outside their ethnicity and and saying things like that. One, there are lots of examples of the Bible, like Moses, um, who was married to someone who didn't have the same skin color as him. But you catch the reason here. It says, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Today, if someone wants to convert to Christianity, and maybe that's something you're even considering today, you don't have to change countries. You don't have to change political allegiances. In this day, if you wanted to trust God, you, you came and started worshiping with Israel. And so if you weren't in Israel, if you weren't an Israelite, even if it was by immigration, You were worshiping another God. That was your choice. So what God said is don't marry someone who's not an Israelite because they have a different God than you. It's just like all the New Testament passages that tell us don't marry outside the Christian faith. And not only did Solomon do that, he married more than one person. We're going to get to this in a minute. uh, Nuts. But all through time, God's plan has been one man and one woman for a lifetime, to be married, to be committed to each other. But look what Solomon does. It says, Solomon clung to these in love, in verse 2. Do you catch that? His heart went to them. Verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princesses, that really didn't apparently mean much back then. And 300 concubines and his wives turned his hearts away. Verse four, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of his father, David. Verse five, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess Of the Sidonites, and after Milkon, the abomination of the Amorites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father has done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, in the mountains of Jerusalem. And he did so, and so he did for all his foreign wives. In other words, there was a whole lot more altars than that who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. See, Solomon had completed the cycle. Step four is kind of a bonus. We'll get to that in just a second. But he lightened up on listening to the word of God. And then he'd given his heart to that power and that prestige. So, So he already had this divided heart. So when these women came along who he genuinely loved, he gave his heart to them. And they turned it aside to idols. So let me go back through a couple of those, starting in verse 5. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, or the Ashtoreth is a lot of times how it's written. This was a goddess. It was a goddess of fertility. See, these these things that we worship and we hear about them and we kind of poke fun. And there's some fun to be poked. Because Ashtoreth was represented by basically what we'd call a telephone pole. Big stick in the ground. That was her. But she was worshipped for two things. To bring about fertility. She was worshipped because they loved kids. That's not a bad thing, right? The Bible says children are a blessing from the Lord. But their children became everything to them. Their kids or even just the desire to have kids ruled their hearts. So for some of you, you may be a lot closer to these folks than you think because your desperate desire to get pregnant. And getting pregnant, by the way, is a good thing. And when you can't, my wife and I experienced this for a number of years, it is heartbreaking. But you know what? Those good things can become idols when we worship them over God. But not only that, Astra was worshiped with wild sexuality. As as ugly and nasty and dirty as it could get. That was how you worshiped. And some of our hearts get torn and taken down that path where sexuality becomes everything. It becomes an identity for some. For others it just becomes an idol that must be worshipped. Sinful ways, it takes over. But that wasn't the idol, only idol. The other one was Milkon or Molech. It's probably the same god. And, and Molech and Milkon were represented by a cow. Good thing, right? We all want to bow down to cows. You know, I'm not, and I'm not talking about this kind of bow. I mean, like they were bowing down. They loved their cows. And it was a big show. It was a huge experience to worship this God. They had giant bonfires and his idol was made out of brass. So when they put that idol into the fire, it would literally glow. I mean, it was a big production. And some of us fall for the same sort of stuff. We just have to have that next experience. That next high. And we'll do anything for it. Heartbreakingly, this god, Molech, was one of the most evil gods in the form of his worship because he demanded child sacrifice. And the heartbreaking reality is that God is worshipped over and over in America today. But not only that, he worshipped Chemosh. And I'd never heard of this one. I can't find it, figure out what Chimosh looked like, all right? I was really curious. After the cow on the stick, you know, I am like, what, what other kind of goof could we get ourselves into? I couldn't find it. There's no pictures of this. But this was a God of war. This was a God of fighting and victory. You see, Solomon got turned to worship this God probably out of some of the same fears that you and I have too. Fears for stability. Fears for safety. All the political upheaval we see, it doesn't even matter which side of the issue you're on, it's extreme right now and and everybody's scared to death that the other side might win. And the reality of the why, again, not saying who's right or wrong, the reality of the why is fear. Fear of shootings, international issues, money. And this was the God who promised he could fight your battles for you. This was the God who promised he could win. And Solomon bowed down. So you want some steps to worship some idols? First, just go light on the word of God. Two, Give your heart to the things that make you happy. Power and prestige and possessions. All those things that give you a smile. The things you think about when you're laying on your bed. And then give your heart to others who are already idol worshippers. Whether that be in marriage, that was Solomon's form. Business partnerships. Maybe even those whom you trust for business advice. You know they'll get the buck for you. They'll get the win, but maybe in the absolutely wrong way. Who are you giving your heart to? Who are you trusting? Who are you listening to? Who are you reading? That's the reality. The last step. So once you're in it, like Solomon was, worshiping all your idols, don't repent when you get convicted. You see, the end of chapter 11 and the close of Solomon's story is about the temporal judgments that God brought to get his attention. Other nations started attacking. It actually says that God raised up some people to fear this Milo thing, whatever it was, two different countries. They came and attacked Solomon, but Solomon kept right on in his course. They were God's nudge, his, his wake-up call. Do y'all remember the story of the prodigal son? You know, the son who says, Give me all your possessions, Dad. I, I want my inheritance now. Forget you, I know you're not dead. I just kind of wish you were. And he goes off and he squanders it. On some of those same things. Friends, sexuality, stability. He ends up literally in a pigsty feeding pigs and he's wishing he could eat the pig food. That's a blow point right? And it says he came to his senses. That's actually the Bible word. That phrase comes from scripture. He came to his senses. He got He's like oh my what have I done? The fourth step to being a good successful idolater man don't you dare listen to that nudge foreign nations who attacked and then there was a coup attempt by a trusted advisor he ends up fleeing to egypt his name's jeroboam he'll come back up in the fall when we pick uh, the rest of first and second kings back up and then we come to the very end I, i want you to look there one more verse with me chapter 11 verse 43 this is the end of the story of solomon Let's start in verse 42. Verse 42. And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem, over all Israel, was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. By the way, he reigned for like three weeks. That's it. Now now some people think maybe Solomon turned at the end the passage that Steve read earlier. The conclusion of Ecclesiastes. I've tried all this stuff. And there's nothing left under the sun that brings me any pleasure. So the end of all things is turned to God and His commandments. But we don't know. There's no record of it. Solomon just died. Solomon never had that what am I doing moment. He should have over and over and over as God called out and tried to get his attention. Let me ask, maybe that's what's happening for you today. Is there a pull in your heart to stop bowing down to that porn, the flirtatious relationship at work? To allowing your kids to sit on the throne of your heart? that voice crying to stop your bitterness, your worship of social media, to bowing down to that phone. If you want to be a successful idolater, ignore that. Believe the lie that it's too late to turn back or that God would never have you back or that you have to clean yourself up before you can return to God. You see, the truth of the gospel is we can't clean ourselves up. That's why we needed Jesus to die. Because we're all just like Solomon. And Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And he offers us eternal life if we'll but believe and repent. Which means turn around. Turn from our sin to him. But if you want to be a successful idolatry, if you want your life to match up to Solomon's, believe the lie. That what you're doing is not as bad as everybody else. All the other folks are doing the same thing. Keep telling yourself that none of those crazy fanatics really have it together. Keep telling yourself, you can have a little bit of God, and a little bit of travel competitions on the weekend, and a little bit of dedicated season pass use, and a little bit of trashy TV, and a little bit of Oprah spiritualism. I mean, none of that stuff's that bad, is it? Repentance is such a strong word sounds so old-fashioned, rejecting sin and turning to Christ is the only Lord and Savior. It's exclusive. It's harsh. It doesn't leave any wiggle room. It's hard. It hurts. I mean, I'm giving up things that I love. It's not like you don't believe in God at all. You're just balancing lots of ideas. So that's it. That's the last step. If you want to be a successful idolater, just take lightly the word of God. Give your heart to the things that make you happy. Give your heart to other idolaters. And when God tries you to wake you up, don't, don't repent. Just keep on going. Let me paraphrase the late Paul Harvey. He said it something like this. If you want to be a really successful idolater, most of you just need to keep doing exactly what you're doing right now. Maybe you don't want that though. You should probably do the opposite of all those things. And that starts right now turning to God in repentance.